lineup of songs for Jonah, but guess what? It's also an appropriate lineup for all of us, because if it were not for the love of Christ and we're not for the grace of God, we wouldn't be here today. We'd be somewhere else doing something else or maybe uh, already in a bad, bad place for eternity. So thankful for the love of God and the grace of God. Let's thank him together as we go to him in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you because we love you, because we appreciate all you've done for us. Lord, the half has not been told of what you have done for us in loving us and giving grace so that we could come to the throne, we could receive forgiveness for our sins and everlasting life because of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, to be in this service. We ask you, Father, to teach us lessons from the life of your prophet Jonah. We pray that you would bless everything that's said and done here, that it would honor you and glorify you. God, I pray you continue to bless as we worship you in song. And then in the word, as we speak it in a little while, you've promised that your word will not return, return unto you void. It'll accomplish the purpose that it has. So, Father, the purpose for your word today, may it be driven deep into the heart of each listener. Give us ears to hear, we pray. Bless us in this service. Bless in the service afterwards for the new member class. And, Father, we pray that we'd honor you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Welcome again. Shira already welcomed everyone who's uh, tuning in online, whether it be YouTube or Facebook. And for all of you that are gathered here at First Baptist Church, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to be preaching Jonah Part 1 today, Wrong Way Jonah. And then after that, we're going to have a membership class. We have lunches already lined up. If you've signed up, come. If you haven't signed up, you come ahead. We'll give you somebody else's lunch. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you my lunch, okay? So, uh, but I want you to come. It'll be about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes or so, and we would love to have you have an opportunity to ask any questions you might have and to see exactly what First Baptist Church is all about and if you desire to become a member. You don't have to be a member. Once you attend the class, that's something that you decide between you and, and the Lord. And then next Sunday, Jonah Part 2, take a cruise, they said. It'd be fun, they said. And uh, you know how that worked out. So uh, that'll be next uh, Sunday morning, Lord willing. And then after church next Sunday, we have a CPR AED training class at 1 o'clock. We have one of those AED uh, machines that starts the heart if, if it stops. And uh, so I want you all to be there so that if something happens and I fall over in the pulpit, you'll know what you're doing, you know, and put it, put it on me the right way. So anyone's uh, able to, to stay for that class, we'd love to have you do so. And then also want to continue to encourage you members to give through the uh, post office or through the offering box in the back on the left side or uh, through online giving, either one. And I forgot to ask, if you are a first-time guest here today <clears throat> in, inside, uh, please take one of the connection cards. It's a card about eh, about that long, not quite that wide, and uh, fill out that information, put it in the offering box. We just want to have a record of your visit with us. And then check out the bulletin for other Bible studies and things that will be held. Our junior high class will not be uh, in session the next two weeks because uh, they're going, the Griffins are going on vacation. Uh, they didn't ask me if they could go on vacation. They don't care what I think about it. They're going on vacation, and a well-deserved one, too. So uh, the junior high class will meet in the auditorium at 10 o'clock with everyone else the next two weeks. Here's, uh, I don't often do this, but I, I completely copied uh, for the bulletin article uh, from the uh, Institute and Creation Research uh, article because I think it's really a good one. 
<clears throat> so everything there is, is not mine. It's absolutely theirs. Mockers, Ancient and Modern. This was from ICR, July 6th, Daily Devotionals. In Nehemiah 4.1, it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, and he took indignation, and he mocked the Jews. This is the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls and how that the uh, uh, people surrounding the area were uh, not in favor of the Jews coming back into the city, and, and uh, so they were trying to stop what was going on. And, and it says here they got mad, and they were indignant, and as a result, they mocked the Jews. Now, I want everyone here to know, if you're a Christian and people know you're a Christian, you will be uh, mocked. You will be ridiculed for your faith. Your faith is a crutch, according to a lot of people. Uh, science is their God, uh, and, and forget the fact that there are a lot of sciences so-called out there. Now, all oh, this is not in written in here, so this is my part right here. But uh, but uh, don't let the mocking uh, dissuade you from taking a stand for God. Now back on to what they say. The art of mocking God and his people has changed little throughout the ages. The pagan enemies that surrounded the Jews as they were trying to rebuild Jerusalem 400 years before Christ tried various means to defeat them, essentially the same devices used by God's enemies today. And so take note of these. They, they tried political and sociological means, and after their efforts at after that, efforts at infiltration, and that failed, uh, and these also failed. And then when Nehemiah actually began to work on the city's walls, they tried discouragement by ridicule, by threat of violence, and by attempted treachery. Likewise, the enemies of God's word and God's plan today are trying all these devices in a modern format. They use political means, such as the ACLU. Uh, they use compromise infiltration, liberal pastors and, uh, and Christians who, who maybe don't even know the Lord as their personal Savior um, and put them in strategic places in churches and in Christian universities and schools and even persecution as they do readily in communist and, and uh, socialist countries. The strategy of mocking is often especially effective against Christians in the fields of education or science or other professional fields. Such people place a high premium on peer recognition and thus are sensitive to snide remarks about the Bible. Thus, when the words of 2 Peter 3, 4, latter-day scoffers come saying, where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, which is essentially a denial of God and his creation. There's great pressure to tacitly agree with the scoffers, and many Christians will seek compromise. You may have heard, I'm departing now from the quote here, uh, you may have heard of theistic evolution. In my opinion, that is a compromise. That is an attempt to explain the creation of Almighty God uh, and, and trying to say that God started it all because there has to be a cause, right? A cause greater than the effect. So they even pagans will realize that. So God started it all, but then he let, it, he let it, everyone evolve and let life forms evolve. That's called theistic evolution. You don't need to believe that to, believe, to be a, a, a bright person an educated person, a wise person. Uh, Nehemiah did not compromise, and neither should we. The Bible says that those who ridicule God's word are willingly ignorant. Remember that. They're willingly ignorant, willingly unlearned. They know that there's something else going on. They know there's something more to it, but they refuse to bow to it in their own hearts, in their own lives. They're willingly ignorant, Second Peter 3, 5, and there's no need to pander to willful ignorance of God's invulnerable truth. 
So I thought that was worthy of uh, putting out there for you to have. You have it in the bulletin. And uh, you know what? Let, let them make fun. Let them make fun. We've got to take a stand for what's right. Amen? And do what God will bless, and God will be happy with us for that. Let's stand as we'll continue to worship the Lord in song.
Thank you, praise team. Thank you for that. You may be seated in the congregation and turn to Jonah chapter 1. While you're turning to the minor prophet named after Jonah, uh, I'd like to talk to the boys and girls that are gathered here before we dismiss them to their Sunday school classes. And I want to talk to you, boys and girls, about knowing God's will. What in the world? How do we know God's... How do you know what God wants you to do tomorrow or even this afternoon or even two minutes from now? How, how do we know what God wants us to do? In our life, boys and girls, you're going to make lots and lots and lots of decisions. You're going to decide whether you're going to obey mom or dad or not, huh? I'm sure you will obey them, right? Uh, you're going to decide whether you believe in God or not. You're going to decide who you're going to marry. Or some of you say, I'm not going to marry anybody. I'm no sorry. You'll decide where you're going to work and what you're going to be when you grow up. And you'll decide where you're going to live. You'll make a million decisions one day, one, one day at a time. You'll make them. And some of them are not as important as others. For example, if in the morning you get up and you think, should I wear a blue shirt or should I wear a white shirt? Well, then there's a yellow shirt. Oh, man, look at the red shirt. I like that one. Some decisions are not as life-altering as others, and whatever color shirt you wear, you wear probably will not make as a huge difference in the rest of your life, but some decisions will. Listen up, boys and girls. Getting in a car with a stranger, that could be a really, really, really bad decision. Even if they tell you your mom or dad said that you're supposed to go with them, you need to talk to your mom and dad by phone or a person or something first. So be careful about that kind of thing. Taking drugs, that could be a, a really super bad thing for the rest of your life. And I'm talking about illegal drugs, not the kind that your doctor may give you, uh, but I'm talking about taking the wrong kinds of drugs. Cheating on a test could be a really bad thing. Having the answers kind of written down somewhere and and, and cheating and, and, and running away from home would be a bad decision. I ran away from home one time. It lasted about five minutes uh, because I figured out that I didn't have all my conveniences at home when I was running away. So uh, there are a lot of bad decisions. So how do we make good decisions? I'm going to tell you how to make good decisions. First of all, by reading your Bible and knowing what the Bible has to say about all kinds of things. For example, did you know the Bible, boys and girls, says if you're a companion of fools, that you'll be destroyed? What does that mean? If you're a friend of people who act very foolishly and who get into a lot of trouble, it's going to cause you a lot of trouble. Another example of reading the Bible and knowing what it says and obeying it is, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a very important. So that, that tells us God's word says it's important to call upon the Lord and ask him to be your savior. So reading the word of God and obeying the Bible. Secondly, by asking God what he wants you to do in prayer. Prayer is the opportunity to talk to the God who made this world and made all of the people in it and made all of the animals in it and made all the fish in the sea and all the birds in the air. He's the one who made everything. And you and I get to talk to him every time we want to by prayer. The Bible says to ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Okay? So, so know what the Bible says. Read it and obey it. Secondly, ask God what he wants you to do. The third one is a little harder to explain if you're real young, but it's by knowing the circumstances 
around you, this, what's going on around you. Uh, God will work out things as we seek his will. In other words, you know what that means? He'll open doors for us, and he'll shut doors for us. If we're going down the wrong path, he may put an, something in our way and say, I don't want you going this way, so go this other way. He may shut a door. But when God shuts the door, he'll also open doors. So that's knowing what the circumstances are around you. And you and I need, and your moms and dads need to be willing what, to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. Even Jesus was that way with his father. He said, he said Father, I don't want to drink of this cup. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to go through all that, taking sins upon me. I don't want that. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so circumstances around us. And the last thing is, listen to godly people around you. Sunday school teachers who love the Lord, parents who love the Lord, preachers who love God, um, listen to what they say. Ask their advice because in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. So boys and girls, just before you go to class, how many of you remember about Jonah? Jonah and the whale or the big fish, huh? And, and you know what? He didn't listen to God he did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. And that is never a good idea. Never a good idea. Don't be a Jonah. Do whatever God wants you to do, and you'll be glad you did. And you won't wind up in the belly of a whale. Because it's you stinky in there. I'm telling you, really. So, boys and girls, be sure to know what God's will wants, is for you and ask his help in determining what decisions to make. And you'll be blessed. I promise you, you will. All right, boys and girls going to classes. The younger class is right over there. Yeah. And the, and the grade school up here, second grade through sixth grade, fifth grade, right over here. So go ahead and be dismissed, boys and girls. And the rest of you, moms and dads, if you have your Bible, open it up to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, the Bible is an incredible book. The Bible records some amazing, amazing stories, fascinating, miraculous stories, and it's unparalleled in that regard. No other book written by anyone at any other point in time comes close to it. For example, we made reference to creation. God created all of this out of nothing. God created the universes out of nothing. The creation of God is beyond our ability to be able to comprehend. Noah's Ark. By the way, you can see it in Kentucky. I told you Kentucky's heaven is God's land anyhow, so good people come from Kentucky. I want you to know that. Uh, but uh, there's a represent, there's a, a, an exact scale model of, the, of Noah's Ark, and it will blow your mind if you've not seen it. You ought to make a trip there. Ought, that ought to be on your vacation trail. Take your, your sons and daughters to see Noah's Ark. It explains a, a lot about how they actually survived uh, on that ark, how they fed them, how they took care of the needs of the animals, and so on. The Tower of Babel, where all of a sudden everyone's languages uh, were confused and changed. The judgments on Egypt uh, that drove Pharaoh to finally let Israel uh, and, and his people go. Uh, the exodus of the Jews. The David and Goliath story, how he picked up five smooth stones and, um, and killed the giant Goliath. The feeding of the 5,000 with this... Uh, a uh, couple of fish and loaves of bread, walking on the water. I mean, the, the Bible is just filled with so many stories, and, and they're often the reason of scorn by unbelievers. They're the focus of making fun of your faith and my faith and God, 
Uh, and that's why I had that bulletin article printed the way it is. Uh, no story out of any of them, I don't think, is any more maligned than that of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish. Surely that's a stretch, right? Surely that could never happen. How could Jonah be inside of a whale or a great fish and live to tell about? Then, last week, on Facebook, this pops up. Are you ready? 56-year-old Michael Packard is a veteran lobster diver. His job is to collect lobsters off the ocean floor. Meanwhile, his work partner watches from the boat, monitoring his safety. He didn't do a very good job. One day, both gentlemen got the surprise of a lifetime when Michael became a modern-day Jonah, and it's unfathomable experience they won't ever forget. As Michael Packard hunted for lobsters 45 feet below the surface of the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, something unbelievable happened. All of a sudden, quoting him, I felt this huge bump and everything went dark. <clears throat> and he said, I could sense that I was moving. And I was like, did I just get bit by a shark? As it turns out, a humpback whale had swallowed him whole. I was completely inside, Michael explained. <clears throat> Thankfully, Michael wasn't in the whale's mouth for very long. The huge beast eventually spat the modern-day Jonah. That's the second reference they've made to Jonah, by the way. Back out. And that didn't diminish the true sense of terror the lobster diver felt at becoming fish food. I thought to myself, okay, this is it. I'm going to die. Have you ever been in a situation, and I don't mean where we just say, oh, you know, this is killing me. I mean, where you actually thought you were going to die. And that's the experience that he had right here. <clears throat> Michael thought about his family, including his two boys, age 15 and 12, and he realized there was nothing he could do to escape. <clears throat> he had no choice but to leave the outcome up to God. This was happening so fast, my only thought was, how do I get out of his mouth? And I realized there was no overcoming a beast of that size. He was going to do with me what he wanted to, Michael said. While inside, Michael Packard tried fighting the whale, which began uh, then throwing his head side to side. But eventually, the lobster diver saw a light. Talk about seeing the light. I saw the light. Yeah. <laughs> We'll sing some Johnny Cash song here all of a sudden. Then all of a sudden, he went up to the surface and just erupted and started shaking his head, he recalled. And I got thrown in the air and landed into, in the water. Michael couldn't believe it. Just like in the Bible, third reference, <clears throat> this modern-day Jonah was swallowed by a whale and lived to tell about it. The lobster diver simply floated in the ocean, reveling in the amazement of, just, of what just took place until his partner rescued him. Michael then went to the hospital, and he was bruised up after the ordeal, but grateful to be alive. And, of course, the incredible story of this modern-day Jonah spread like wildfire. That's four references to Jonah in that article. And you know the sad thing? You know the sad thing about this? Some people will believe the story about Michael Packard being swallowed because it's on Facebook. They wouldn't put anything on Facebook that's not true, <laughs> would they? That's why they have fact checkers, yeah, to, to censor what you and I put on there. And so and, and people will believe that, but they will still ridicule the book of Job. They'll find something. Yeah, but he wasn't in there three days and three nights. Oh, okay. Well, they used to say there's no way a whale or a big fish could swallow a human being. That's just not, not going to happen. These big whales, uh, they, they pick in the krill, little bitty thing. You know, they're not going to swallow. But they did. And guess what? If God wanted Jonah in the 
whale of the great fish for three days and three nights, then God can do that. So, uh, so it's your choice what you believe. As for me and my household, we're going to believe the word of God. We're going to believe the story about Jonah. And this Michael Packard incident simply is like a, aha, showed you, told you. I knew it was true all along. So this short book of, the, of Jonah starts with the word of the Lord. That's a good place to start. So in verses 1 and 2, uh, the, we read about the, the word of the Lord. Now, you might wonder, is this a spoken word out loud? Uh, did it come in audible sounds? And, uh, was it a, a dream? Because sometimes God spoke to people in dreams. Was it a vision? God sometimes spoke to people in visions. Peter on the rooftop uh, had a vision of uh, a sheet that was let down with unclean foods and so on. Uh, Moses saw a burning bush, and God spoke to him out of that. Uh, was it in an earthquake or a mighty wind? Elijah uh, saw that happen, but it wasn't through the earthquake or mighty wind that God spoke. God spoke rather through a still, small voice. What was it? What was it that, that Jonah heard or experienced? How did he know? We don't really know that. But what we do know is that God's commandment was expressed, and it should have been obeyed. Now, the word of the Lord, and that, that phrase, word of the Lord, is found seven times in this short four-chapter book of Jonah. The word of the Lord, 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 seven times in four chapters. It came unto Jonah. Jonah's name means dove. Uh, some commentators liken uh, he, he became a symbol just like the dove that was released out of the ark after a hundred and some days of uh, whatever it was of, of being on the ocean and, and came back because there was no place to, uh, to light, no, no place to reside. So, uh, but his son of Amittai, nothing else is known about him except his name means truth. And here's what the word of the Lord said. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Arise, go to Nineveh. There are two imperatives there. Get up from where you are and go. Get up and go. Some of us at a certain age lose our get up and go, right? <clears throat> well, this is what he was told. Get up, arise, and go. So here are two imperatives coupled with a sense of urgency. It has the idea in the construction of the Hebrew here, go at once. Go at once to that great city, that large city. By the way, Nineveh was situated on the eastern bank. This is an interesting map to me, and some of you who have been over there, it should be interesting to you, I would think. Uh, Nineveh is right up here. Now, right... If this were a current map, and I'll show you a current map in a moment, but not yet, <clears throat> right exactly east of Nineveh would be the, the city of Mosul. Anybody been to Mosul? Yeah, yeah, Mosul, Iraq. This, this is the old Assyrian Empire, which was in existence before Persia, which was in existence before Iraq and Iran and all of that. <clears throat> so you have Nineveh right here. You have Jerusalem over here on the left. Um, and that's going to be about 500 miles, is what I'm told, between Jerusalem and Nineveh. And just for reference sake, you have Babylon right down here, which was part of the old empire also. So, uh, so you have uh, Nineveh on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, opposite the city of Mosul, one of Assyria's principal cities, found by guess who? Anybody know? Nineveh, Nimrod. Nimrod, the great hunter. Uh, named after him. Sennacherib uh, strongly fortified the city and for a time made it the capital of Assyria. So, uh, so for a while it was the capital city. And this is the only, in the whole entire Bible, this is the only case of a prophet being sent uh, to a Gentile nation, to a heathen nation. Their repentance 
after one confrontation, would shame Israel, who had been told time after time after time after time they needed to repent, they needed to come back to God, and they wouldn't do it. And here, you know, if, if you know the story, you know that Nineveh is going to repent in sackcloth and ashes. That's an embarrassment to the people of God. Uh, and so they would, they would leave their continued waywardness. And he said, I want you to go to this great city, and I want you to cry against it. This literally meant to preach judgment as a result of their great sin. I want you to go to the city, uh, Nineveh, <clears throat> preach judgment against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Uh, <clears throat> and um, I found out that Nineveh was known for several things. Obviously, it was a, it was a huge world power at the time, uh, Assyria was. Uh, but it, Nineveh particularly had an incredible appetite for violence and for cruelty. They were infamous, and they would take their um, enemies and do unspeakable things to them. And perhaps you've read of some atrocities that, that are, go on in the world and have gone on in the world in your own lifetime. Uh, I, I think of uh, people who've been burned alive, and, and I think of people who've been decapitated. I think of people who've been uh, buried and, and left to die and, uh, uh, and with their, only their heads sticking out of the ground and so on. But they were known for their cruelty, and perhaps this is one of the reasons that Jonah said, no, thank you. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. And maybe it's the reason he retreated from the clear command of the Lord. But we see then in verse 3 the actions of the prophet. Uh, and, of course, you know, the hypothetical question is here now, would Jonah obey God immediately? And you know what the answer is going to be to that. We know better. Uh, my question to each one of us is, uh, do we obey God immediately? Do we do what God tells us to do when he knows he tells us, when we know he's telling us to do it? Uh, have we obeyed him? Someone said delayed obedience is disobedience. So there's even a parable about that in the, word, in the New Testament about a son who was told to do something by his father and, and he said he would do it and he didn't. And another son who was told by his father to do something and he said he didn't want to do it, but he went and did it. <clears throat> delayed obedience is also disobedience. When God tells us to do something, we ought to hop to it. Have we obeyed him? Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Now, it's interesting. Remember the two imperatives, rise up and go? <clears throat> this is the same syntax right here. Uh, God is saying, arise and go. And so he's saying, arise. So Jonah arose, uh, and, and yet he didn't go where God told him to. He showed rebellion to the clear commandment of the word of God. And he went from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And Joppa was a seaport um, near uh, in Jerusalem and corresponds to the modern Joppa, uh, which is now part of Tel Aviv. And I think we have, uh, yeah, Joppa is right there at point A, and Nineveh was point B, okay? And so instead of going from Jerusalem up to Nineveh, which we uh, said was about 500 miles or so, we're going to find out he went west to or he's planning to go west, 2,000 miles, 2,000 miles. He found a ship going to Tarshish, uh, and so he paid the fare thereof, and he went down and had to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I think that's, that's a, a very telling phrase there. He went from the presence of the Lord. And, and any time 
Anytime we disobey, anytime we do other than what God has told us to do, we're going away from the presence of the Lord. We're not running to his side. By obeying him, we run to him. By disobeying him, we run away from him. Someone gave a literal translation in verse 3. So Jonah arose, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from before Yahweh, which is the name of God, Jehovah, and he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid its fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from before Yahweh. So twice in the literal translation here, he is, he is seen as going away from Yahweh, Jehovah God. So he attempts to escape from the presence of God. Jonah chose to defy the living God and travel in the exact opposite direction God had instructed him. So now in verse 3 also, we see the prophet. And Jonah was, if all you know about Jonah is Jonah and the great fish, you might think he was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a weak character, kind of, a, you know, obviously a rebel and uh, just wasn't much good about him. But Jonah was a great prophet, in fact, prior to this. Uh, when we refer to the book of Jonah as one of the minor prophets, I think there are 12 minor prophets, I think. Um, it doesn't mean they were like lesser prophets. Like here, we have a major prophet, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, Daniel. And then we have these dinky prophets, uh, the minor prophets. That's not what that means. It, it, it had reference to the size of the books. So you have the, the, the major prophets, the, the major uh, books of, and, and the historical writings and the prophetic writings of the Word of God. And then you have the minor prophets. And so he had, as a minor prophet, he had a major prophetic role in the reign of King Jeroboam II. Don't you love reading about all the kings of Israel and, and, uh, and Judah? I, I get cross-eyed when I start. I, it's like, I, 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 all these, first of all, you know, they don't have decent names like Jim and Joe and Sam. They have all Jeroboam II. You know, that's easy to say. But, there's, but any, it, gets, it gets tough. And, and so Jonah had conveyed a message encouraging the expansion uh, to the king of Israel, whose reign was marked by prosperity and expansion under Jeroboam II, but unfortunately, moral decline. So uh, even though the, the, the kingdom grew, uh, the, spiritually it declined. And the kind of growth we want at First Baptist Church is not just growth numerically. We want spiritual depth. We want to be deep and wide, like the song goes, deep and wide. Uh, deep, theologically deep, in, founded in the Word of God, um, listening to God, obeying God, trusting God, but also we, and growing spiritually, but also growing in numbers and, and so on, and influence. So he was a strong, actually a strong Jewish prophet. Look at verse 9. Skip down to verse 9. When he was asked and questioned about who he was, he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Uh, he, he would use the name Hebrew. Anytime that, that God's People identify themselves to uh, a Gentile nation. They call themselves, they use the terminology Hebrew. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, in opposition to the heathen gods who created nothing and were powerless, <clears throat> and he was tasked with going to a thoroughly heathen Gentile nation with some bad news. That's, uh, that's what his purpose in going to Nineveh was all about. Instead of obeying the word of the Lord... Jonah hightails it for Tarshish. Now, hightails is a Hebrew word meaning, not really, <clears throat> not really. It, it, it means he ran away. 
He ran away from God, so, so he went the wrong way. Now, one commentator says this, and I quote, one would be hard put to imagine a narrative beginning, uh, a narrative beginning better designed to strike an ancient Israelite audience as discordant, incongruous, and absurd. A monarch charges a deputy trusted and long in his servants, so God's trusting Jonah here, who had proven himself in the past, with a mission which altogether in the line of his duty will take him to one end of the Lord's far-flung empire without a word of demurral, without a suggestion of motive. The deputy proceeds and ever so casually to head in the opposite direction. That's just an unthinkable thing. You in the military, uh, if your, your commanding officer comes and tells you to go left and you turn around and go right, uh, that's not going to be a, a pretty outcome there. That's not going to be a good thing there. And so that's exactly what happens here. And, and as a Jew, as a Hebrew, he should have known that. He did know that. But amazingly, and, and this kind of blew my mind when I read this, he became a type both of, of an unrepentant Israel and at the same time, a type of the Messiah. How can, how can that work? Obviously, we see him as a type of non-repentant Israel uh, because he was disobeying God, and that's exactly what uh, Israel was doing. But when the ultimate outcome uh, of him being cast into the sea, he suggests to the men on the ship, cast me into the sea. He became the one who was willing to die so that the others might live. So there's the, there's the other type. Caiaphas, by the Holy Spirit, declared it was expedient that one man should die, speaking of Christ, and that the whole nation should not perish, John eleven fifty. Not realizing he was talking about Christ because Caiaphas was not a believer in what Jesus was doing. But, so he became this, this dual type, kind of schizophrenic type of a prophet here. I'm a type of unrepentant uh, Israel. I'm not going to do what God clearly has told me to do. He said to go over here to uh, Nineveh. I'm going to head the other way, and I'm not just going to get a little bit away from it. I'm going to go as far as I can go in the known world without crossing the great ocean. I'm going to get as far away from God's will as I possibly can. But at the same time, he became a type of the Messiah. Number four, the immediate results. Whether or not he thought about his decision or whether it was made in the spur of the moment, here's what happened. He paid the fare thereof. And when you and I decide to go against God, it's going to cost us. We will pay the fare. We decide to break the laws, we're going to pay a price. We decide to break God's laws, we're going to pay a price. He paid the fare thereof. Some commentators suggested he rented out the, the whole Phoenician uh, ship, that he, he somehow secured the whole thing, that he was the, the main one who, but it doesn't matter. He paid the fare, whatever it was. He, maybe it was just passage, but he paid. And then second thing is he went down into it. Anytime you go from the perfect will of God, it's going to be a downward path. And he went down to Joppa, and then he was going to go down to Tarshish, and then he finally was down into the sea, and then he was swallowed by the wheel, and he went down into the depths. It's always a downward path when you go away from God. He ran from the Lord. Where can you go to get away from God? Where, where are you going to go? You get, Death Valley was 130 degrees. 
You think God's not there? Where are you going to go? Get away from me. In Psalm 139, verse 7, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where am I going to go? If I ascend to heaven, the psalmist said, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, the place of the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness will cover me, and even the night shall be light about me, yea, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto you. You can't go, you can find the darkness. You want to go to the Mammoth Cave? You want to go deep down into Mammoth Cave? Shut all the lights off? Nobody can see. You can't see your hand literally in front of your face because your eyes will not operate without some light somewhere. God's still there. Hebrews 4.13, NASB says there there uh, is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom uh, we have to do. No one can hide. You go. I don't care if you go on deployment, guys, gals. You go on deployment, you're 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 miles away from home. You think nobody knows what you're doing. You think nobody knows what is, is in your heart. You think nobody knows what you're participating. You are wrong. God knows exactly where you are. We can hide from other people. We can hide from the preacher. Can't hide from God. Jeremiah 23, 24 in the Amplified says, Can anyone hide himself in the secret places so that I cannot see him? Says the Lord, Do I not fill heaven and earth? I know every nook and cranny of this, this whole world. I'm the one who created it. Don't you think I know where you are? Job 34, 22 NASB says, There is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. You can't hide in the shadows. You can't hide in the darkness. You can't hide in the Garden of Eden. Ask Adam and Eve. You can't hide in the mountains and caves. Revelation 6, 15, Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And Jonah was about to find out you can't even hide in the depths of the deepest sea. A fellow named Jay Lindbergh asked what these first three verses in the book of Jonah tell us about God. That's a significant question. And there are three things that we learn from these first three verses. First of all, God calls his people to service. You're a child of God. God has called you to do something for him. What is it? You say, preacher, I don't know. Figure it out. Find it out. God has created you. God has caused you, if you has caused you to be born again, He has also called you to service of some kind. Here Jonah's called to preach to a foreign city, Nineveh. What is your calling? Secondly, God cares enough about sinners to send a word of hope, love, and grace. God loved the Ninevites. God loves the Russians. God loves the Chinese. God loves 
every people, every nation. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Don't believe this stuff of God sends people to hell without them having an opportunity to respond one way or the other. I, I, I don't, look, and I understand, I, I understand it's a big, you know, this predestination, coordination election. I think it's all predicated on our receiving Christ or not. But, and I know a lot of people get into a lot of stuff about it. Let me tell you something. I, I believe with all my heart that God says, whosoever will may come. God cares enough. This wicked city cut the heads off their enemies and pile them outside the gates just to let future people know what they think of them. I mean, awful things they did. And he loved them enough to send them a message of hope, love, and grace. And then finally, implied here and told later in this story, no one can hide from God. No one can hide from God. We had, a few years ago, an individual who came in and taught a series of lessons to our men about the evils and the dangers of pornography. And he talked about before, before he came to the Lord, how that when he would hit a foreign port, he would head for places of illicit relations, prostitutes, and so on. He would live for that. He couldn't wait. But you know what? He never could hide it from God. Never could. God says, you hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. He knows exactly where we are. For my eyes are on all your ways, and your ways are not hidden from my face, nor is your iniquity concealed from my eyes. Don't you think about that? Young people, adults, whatever we do, God is completely aware. Would you bow your heads, please? If Christ came back right now, would you be embarrassed because of some things that are in your heart and your life right now? Some unconfessed sin? Some things you've tried to cover up, you've tried to hide? Some things you don't want anybody else to know about? Today would be a great day to confess those things to him. You don't have to confess them to me, but you need to confess them to God. You need to ask his forgiveness. Ask him to cleanse you. So powerful is the blood of Christ, it can cleanse us from all iniquity. What has God called you to do? Are you obeying him? Are you listening to him? Are you doing what he's called you to do? What are you hiding from him? Next week, we're going to be talking about some of the consequences that Jonah faced because he hid from God, tried to run from God. no place you can go to get away from him. So why don't you run to him instead of from him? God in heaven, thank you for the story about Jonah. Thank you for an object lesson of 
what not to do when you've called us clearly to do something. Lord, it's not for us to decide whether we should do what you've said. It's up to us to do what you've said do and let you deal with the subsequent ramifications of it all. So, Lord, I pray that you would reassure everyone here of your love and your mercy and your grace toward them, but that you would also show them that we need to repent as Nineveh needed to repent. And we need not run from you. We need not hide from you because both are futile. So, Father, bless this invitation, we pray. May your will be done in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? And as we stand, and as the praise team leads us in the word of God, if you need to come make some things right with God, I'm going to invite you to come down to the front. I'll have someone pray with you. I'll pray with you. Whatever it is you need to do. But look, if people are standing between you and the aisle, if you just excuse yourself, they'll let you come on down. If you want to come and join the church, you want to come be baptized, you want to come repenting of sins, you want to come and get saved, receive Christ as your Savior, as they sing, you come on right now. Don't wait. Come out on the very first verse. that we would go with your spirit, walking with your spirit. And God, that we would be the men, the women, the young people that you would have us to be. We pray that you'd forgive us of our sins and bless us, Lord. Bless this country. God, help us, like Nineveh of old, as a nation, to come back to you, to seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, give us a national revival, we pray. It's our only hope. God, it'll, it'll, it's the only thing that can stop the downward trend and the downward slide. So, Father, your will be done in our hearts, in our lives, in our nation, in our families, in our churches, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. And we're going to have the new members class start here. We're going to be able to start a little bit early. So uh, we're going to bring some tables in and set them up here because we have a good-sized class. If you did not plan on staying, but you would like to, please do so. Uh, and if you signed up for Sure Stay, we've got your lunch coming, and we'll get it to you as quickly as we can. God bless you. Have a great day.